welcome to episode 7 of Long Hair Do Care, a podcast about queer intersectional ecofeminism. I am your host, Georgie Corkery, pronouns she, her, hers, also happy to go by they, them, theirs. And today is June 6, 2021, which means this is the first week of Pride Month. Happy Pride, everybody. The topic for today is Urban Habitat, an organization that does community events in Salt Lake to remove noxious weeds from the foothills. To help me talk about this is Neil Dombrowski, the co-founder of Urban Habitat, and he's also a botanist at Redview Gardens. Welcome, Neil. Hey, everybody. Yeah, I'm Neil. <laughs> uh, my pronouns are he, him, they, them. Pretty fluid. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Neo, for coming on. I call him Neo. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine, so I'll, I'll be saying Neo. But thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited. I, you know, I've wanted you to come on for a little bit. So this is nice for me. Glad um, to be a part of it. Before we jump into the topic, we gotta talk about our cats and stuff. This week, I saw a total of five cats. Two cats. I was actually out on a walk. It's beautiful outside. And there's all these college kids are moving out of the neighborhood. So there's junk. And I was looking through the junk and one cat just ran up to me. And I realized it's a cat that I've seen before named Cookie. I've talked about Cookie on the podcast. And we had a good little pet session. And then I walked away. And then another cat ran up to me, an orange cat. Very cute. Don't know its name. And then I also saw Dada and Moira, my friend's cats. Very cute. I've also talked about them. An old cat named Zarina. She's gray. I've talked about her before. She just looked old, per usual. And then another cat that I actually can't remember, but I wrote it down that I saw a cat, but I didn't actually have any information on that cat. Did you see any cats this week, Neo? I have a lot of conversations about cats, but I do have two interactions with cats that I can remember. One was a walk down the street for breakfast one day oh. with my friend and two of his small dogs. And typically these dogs would be really yappy. <laughs> Aggressive little dogs. <laughs> but the cat was so bold and just like walked right up to these dogs. Oh, and was it's just, one of those attention-seeking cats. Yeah. Like my favorite. Put it, just came up. Did you pet it? I did, and then it immediately tried to claw me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was one. And then um, I was walking my dog, Rue, the other morning, and there was this black cat that usually um, that is out, but he never, it never really re interacts with us. But it was okay. at a solid point where it was just comfortable and there, and Rue kind Sniffed of perked it? up. And wanted to be its friend so bad, and then the just cat so the audience knows, Rue is this uh, incredibly <laughs> cute dog that Neo has adopted. Oh, yeah, I thought you were gonna say that you didn't interact with cats because you're severely allergic. So yeah. that was surprising. Well, that that interaction is really good. Yes. Yeah. And then my a lot of my staff has cats. One so, is named Turnip. Talk about cat. That's such a good cat <laughs> name. Yeah. I didn't know that Turnip. That's a good. I always liked Pepper, but. Turnip, I think, is better. But wildlife this week, I saw a snake and these two lizards. And I was on a run with my friend Dane. Shout out to you, Dane. I assume you're going to be listening to all my podcast episodes. <laughs> and first, we were, we were running uphill and we were talking about rattlesnakes because I saw a rattlesnake last weekend. And then I couldn't 
make sense of it in my mind what was happening but i just saw two reptile like things flopping around and i screamed so loud and therefore i startled dane and i think what we did is we walked up on two lizards either fighting or having sex they were all floppy have you seen anything like that before they were flopping around like fish out of water seems like a mating call to me okay (laughs) i mean most other things besides humans they're one goal in life is to reproduce. You think they were dancing for each other? Uh, the male was probably trying to show... Okay, well, they were both yeah. flipping around, and I think I scared them just as bad as they scared me. Yeah. But I was... I've never looked up a mating dance or the ritual of lizards mating. Yeah. So, let's just assume. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I'll, I'll look that up later. But then on the way down when we were running, Dane was like, Snake! And I was like, Kate, don't scream when you see it, because we were just running. And then I saw it, and I screamed, and... Uh, yeah. So those are my wildlife interactions. Have you, did you see anything great? You know, usually I do have quite a bit of wildlife interactions, but I can't think of any that I can speak of this week. All right. Well, uh, I know that one time I did see a rattlesnake with you. So Mm. at least one time, if not more than that. Tesla's for this week. Uh, I saw 61 and three halves, which is more Teslas than I have seen so far, I believe. So that was great for me. (laughs) Georgie hasn't explained yet. She has an amazing eye for Teslas, and she can point it out no matter what she's doing. She always has an eye out and points them out to me. And it's probably pretty annoying (laughs) because Neo and I do drive around a lot, and mid-sentence I'll be like, 54, and I'll just keep talking. In the midst of a, a really serious conversation with her mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, (laughs) it's true, and Neo puts up with it so well. And then Conscious Content Consumption for this week, it's a fiction novel written by Naomi Adderman called The Power. It was published in 2016, so at the beginning of a new administration. (laughs) I grabbed it from the Little Free Library around the block from my house, and I saw one that it was named by the New York... The New York Times as one of the top 10 best books of 2017, but more importantly, it was on Obama's recommended reading list, so I just, I grabbed it. The central premise is women developing the ability to release electric jolts from their fingers, thus leading them to become the dominant gender. It addresses trauma, sexual violence, oppression... And politics, generally. It follows the experience of five characters as they move through the rapidly changing world. Their names being Ali, Roxy, Margot, Jocelyn, and Tunde. And Tunde is the only male main character. And the character development and the way that the characters end up interacting is incredible. It takes place over a large stretch of time, I think maybe a decade I loved it so much that I wasn't sleeping, and parts of it were a little intense because it does have violence in it, and I also got nightmares. I actually took a day off of work <laughs> because I was getting so many nightmares and not sleeping. So I'm, I'm a very sensitive human being, mm-hmm. but I'm going to share with you a few quotes here just to give you a taste of how good this book is. Quote number one, it doesn't matter that she shouldn't, that she never would. What matters is that she could, if she wanted. The power to hurt is a kind of wealth. That quote was from closer to the beginning of the book, when one of the characters, I believe it was Margot, realizes that she does have this electric jolting power. And I just thought 
that was really interesting because being able to do that gave her the freedom to move through the world with more confidence, which a lot of times as a female or minority gender, you might not. Second quote, gender is a shell game. What is a man? Whatever a woman isn't. What is a woman? Whatever a man is not. Tap on it and it's hollow. Look under its shell. It's not there. I originally didn't like this quote because it gave a binary that there's only two genders, but then it quickly shapes up to say, hey, gender is hollow and it's more about what we give it. The stereotypes, the gender roles, those are all shells. And then when it comes down to it, we are all human beings. Maybe we look different and function slightly different just depending on height and weight, but it really is a shell. We can all <laughs> accomplish the same amount of things, but society gives us these shells, which is why I thought it was an interesting quote. Quote number three, nothing special has happened today. No one can say she was more provoked than usual. It is only that every day one grows little. Every day something is different, so that in the, he in the heaping up of days, suddenly a thing that was impossible has become possible. This is how a girl becomes a grown woman, step by step, until it is done. I like this quote because it talks about a movement and how things change, and just thinking about the Me Too movement, it's step by step. There's been a lot of momentum behind it growing, and just now I feel like it's starting to flourish, and it's not yet there. Quote number four, there's five quotes. We are only pretending everything is normal because we don't know what else to do. I like this quote, and I think maybe, Neo, you relate to it a little bit. We're only pretending everything is normal because we don't know what else to do. There's no real, there's no metric that we can compare our lives to against other people that make sense because we're all so unique. Last quote. It's enough for her to know, sitting there in the dark, that if she really wanted to, she could get out. The knowledge is as good as the freedom. And I picked this one. It's pretty similar to the first one I shared. It is talking about a side character who was locked in a basement in a different country. She was essentially a sex slave with all these other women. And they all had the power and they were waiting to be able to get out and have their moment. The whole scene was really powerful. The knowledge that you can do something can give you a lot of freedom, but... I also realized that a lot of time in this reality, we don't have the power to do what we want. Um, so gaining those abilities um, in terms of equality moving forward, I think is going to be just the freedom that we've all been hoping for for so long. But that's it. That was really long. Yeah. Can I elaborate a little bit on that? The common theme of your book? Yeah. Yes, please. So I, I don't know. Like I, growing up, I've always been kind of attracted or... Um, Drawn to? Drawn to women in my life. Like my grandmas, my aunts, my mom. And I've always felt that they were the most powerful ones, even though society hasn't really <laughs> acknowledged that. that power. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the theme through all that seems to be like, yes, women do have the power and, and they're just suppressed, yeah. unfortunately, by these wretched <laughs> Wretched men. Yes. As a man, uh, I feel really great to say those kind of things. Yeah. And the book was just so interesting because it's all based around the physical ability to dominate, mm -hmm. 
which I do think is why right now that that's why we have these dynamics and these gender roles. And unfortunately, I mean, the way that they wrote the book, it, it kind of painted a picture of it won't change unless we know that that fear is there. Right. In a binary world, one gender will become dominant because they're, they actually can be in control and you can't threaten them anymore. You right. can't threaten their safety anymore. Growing up with women around me, I can't name a female that hasn't been sexually harassed, if not sexually right. abused. And that's a powerful tool to use against somebody and to fear for your life. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But going back to what you're saying, there are a lot of cultures I just read this article about women in the Congo back at the turn when it became the Republic of Congo. Women do a lot of the hard labor and they raise the family, but even the oldest grandmother in that culture was less respected than the youngest boy or child or male in that culture. So it's like, oh no, you're here to, to work and that's it. Yeah. So. Men have this one power that is fear yeah and still on people or you yeah. met and um, well, you're big is like afraid afraid and that's very powerful and they are so afraid of change of mm -hmm. like, but i think most i i just don't think that they have any fear yeah of that change yeah one quote i don't know if i've said it before and i'll probably say it again men fear women laughing at them mm -hmm. and women fear men killing them it kind of puts into context because so i <laughs> yeah it's such as i mean i wish we could change it and that we were all just yeah. fearful of being rude to each other you know i wish that were the case yeah. but this book so good i recommend you reading it it's a a thriller and it might give you nightmares like it gave me <laughs> lovely <laughs> good description Thanks. yeah <laughs> jumping into the topic now neo do you want to give us a little bit of your background as a botanist and working at red butte and then talking about urban habitat which is our topic today the organization that you put together sure Okay, so uh, way back, you know, I'm from Massachusetts. I grew up in a pretty liberal state and then followed an acquaintance out to Utah to a college, Weber State University, to study botany uh, eventually. I, I started with geology, but then geology was kind of like too... Just rocks? <laughs> no offense to geologists or rocks. Just a time scale, like waiting thousands of years or something to happen. I just... Oh. Rather than like finding but but it was more about less about the subject that came in later but it was more about the people yeah so coming from a liberal state of massachusetts into a really conservative state of utah it was just comfortable for me to yeah. find that the botany department had a lounge where everybody hung out <laughs> and there were liberal people and i think it was this old hippie that was teaching this class in front of hundreds of people and it was a requirement for a diversity credit and a lot of business people in this class. Wow, at Weber? Yeah. Go Weber! <laughs> and he said one time in front of the class, like, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to be a... I don't know why everybody wouldn't want to be a botany major. And I was like, that was one of the few <laughs> that raised my hands. Like, 
You're like, I want to be a botany stood major. Stood up and started clapping. <laughs> you would stand up and clap. <laughs> and, so, and so I immediately went and changed my major to botany. And awesome. And met some great people along the way. So, yeah, I studied botany at Weber State University with a minor in geosciences. I started working in the field before I graduated, the summer before I uh, graduated, working for the de- Department of Defense, doing environmental studies. Department of Defense, military. Military, yeah. Working less liberal group, yeah. I assume maybe I'm putting them into a box, yeah. Pretty much, you know, you're there's laws enacted into the military or Department of Defense or those agencies, federal agencies, right, to allow us to practice military exercises in order to defend our country, right? Department of Defense. So, I guess, where does botany fall into that? So we go out and we run transect lines, studying the Transect lines? You might have to explain that. Right. So we would put down like a 100-meter line across. Like a string on a stick sort of deal? Yeah. Just measuring the area that you will be surveying? Yeah. There's a number of different things that you can do, like line surveys, where you put up 100 meters of line and you're taking recordings at 10 meters, 5 meters, whatever the increments were. Or you can study a whole square, like a meter square plot and study everything. And the point of surveying this for the Department of Defense was? Pretty much justifying them to bomb the shit out of another area. They're they're like, like, oh, it's okay to drop bombs over here. Test it. We're doing these surveys so we can do this. So it's kind of bullshit. And fudging a data which is not scientifically correct. But anyway... So I spent two and a half years at Halo Force Base working for working for their natural resources department. Moved on to Dugway. They stole me from them um, as a botanist working for the Army at Dugway Proving Grounds, which is the center of biological and chemical warfare in the United States. So Whoa, weird, really? Weird shit going out there, yeah. Dugway is in Utah? Yes. Western part of the Utah. It goes Dugway, 500,000 acres Utah tr- Test and Training Center South, 500,000 acres. Utah Test and Training Ranger North. And that's all... 500,000. That's all on the west side of Utah. What county? Do you know? Um, it goes in Box Elder into okay. Tooele and I don't know. Yeah, oh. I don't, We just had a county yeah. quiz, but... We did have a county <laughs> quiz, just barely knew what I... Uh, a million and a half acres. Two-thirds of it is Air Force. One-third of it's Army. Wow. So, All right. And that's where you worked for another environmental consulting firm. Okay. So a contractor, which is I can say is the biggest waste of money of our government. <laughs> you know, you think about our Department of Defense budget, and it's just astronomical, and it doesn't need to be. And paying a contractor like myself, which I wasn't um, really worried about at the time, because they paid me really well. Yeah. But think about the federal government pays contractors, companies, double the price of what they could pay a civilian yeah. federal employee. So hmm, one of the biggest wastes of money, but they're also disposable. So yeah, you can get rid of them at any time and you don't have to provide benefits. Yeah. I also know working as a contractor, you don't get as many benefits when you're filing for taxes. Because I did it for Saline Lakes program. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, oh, wow, I didn't really make as much off of this as I yeah. thought I would as a pri- private contractor. Right. So so after that, is that when you moved to Red Butte? I have to go back to my friends. 
I've met some incredible friends along the way while I was working there. After uh, that, I was fortunate enough to apply at this job at Red Butte that uh, I was thought I was really focused in my career, that I wouldn't have the opportunity because I wasn't as broad in study, but like I did so many great projects with the federal government and contracting that I landed this position where I am now at Redview Garden as a horticulturalist in charge of certain areas of the garden. And if if you're not from Salt Lake City, we have this awesome, is it a botanical garden? Yeah, it's Redview Botanical Garden. Redview Botanical Garden. It's up on the hill. It's by the University of Utah, by the Natural History Museum. I love going there. I grew up going there. So it was cool when I met Neo to be like, oh man, that's where you work? Uh, to me, it sounds a bit of a dream job, but I also know that every job to an extent is a job, but you get to work outside all the time. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like you have a fairly good staff and, uh, and it's a beautiful place. You all should go visit it. Yeah. You know, it's reminders like uh, reminders from Georgie that you live in a, you work in a great place and uh, not to take things for granted. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been there for 11 years. Uh, what really sets Red Butte apart from other botanical gardens is that it's on the urban wildland interface. So pretty much you have a mountain as your background and yeah. it's really unique in that way. And we have just a great setting with different habitats within a really small space, a hundred acres. You so. want to talk about like name two or three of the habitats, maybe not talk about them, but name them. Well, we have the riparian. So we have a major watershed of Salt Lake city that comes through the garden as and in that's, Red Butte Creek. Yep. Red Butte Creek. Red Butte Creek. And then we have like kind of the upland sage sagebrush habitat. We also have a seep on our property. So artesian well. What's a seep? Artesian well that comes out of the ground. So it's where... So it's just like a natural spring of water coming out? It's where the water table is higher than the surface of the soil. So Cool. Very cool. We also have woodlands. Yeah. Yeah. So different habitats within 100 acres. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, earlier uh, when I asked Neo, you know, what wildlife have you seen? He said... Uh, not a lot or nothing of note, surprisingly, because when you're there, I'm sure you get all sorts of animals. Uh, that's where I saw a snake with you, a rattlesnake mm -hmm. once. And, um, you probably see coyotes. Have you ever seen a bobcat? So there was this, I have motion cameras around the garden that I've okay. been tracking for oh, a decade now. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> and, uh, this last year, and maybe it had to do with COVID and like not many people out. I don't know, but or a lot of people out, or, right? Uh, well, I guess not a lot of people, people in the garden, yeah. but a lot we of people closed. around the foothills. The garden closed for a while, so it was kind of like a sanctuary for wildlife. So I had this camera out for a month long segment, and I caught two new animals on my motion camera during that time, which uh, were the two regulars that I caught was a coyote and a bobcat. Okay. And then the two new ones was a cougar and a badger. Ah, yes. a cougar. Yeah. Uh, have, oh, Never. I can just yeah. imagine walking through and then see, well, I guess you wouldn't see the cougar. No. The cougar would just get you. Um, or <laughs> no. not get you. Um, no, no. but badgers are also very cool. I, I did see, Two of those once when I hiked in the Uintas, and then they started running towards us, and we we're like, "All right, let's yeah. let, let's go." <laughs> Badgers are really amazing for ecosystems, kind of like how beavers are for watersheds. Oh, why is that? Because badgers they... control a lot of insects that are problems for us, like hmm. termites, ants, uh, wasps, things like that. I didn't really think about badgers as eating insects. Yeah. I just thought about them. No. 
being very aggressive. <laughs> I mean, I think I, yeah, I think I, I don't want to misquote. I'm not an expert, but that's pretty much what Utah Division of Wildlife Services told me. Okay, so, well, good for the ecosystem. Yeah, and they're, um, yeah. I mean, they're cute if they weren't so mean. If I could approach them, I probably would. But uh, you know, I respect them. I think that's part of their defense is just to act like really mean, but they. Yeah. Really, like, they're like, ah, yeah. I'm gonna go eat ants now, yeah. and you're like, okay, yeah. see ya, yeah. um, or not, unless you have a camera. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's. I want to jump into now urban habitat, the organization organization that you founded. Yes. Yeah, I found it with the late Ann Kelsey, who was a collections manager at the Natural History Museum of Utah. Okay. So the story behind that is I started volunteering with Ann Kelsey at the Natural History Museum of Utah on the University of Utah campus. During that time, the museum was going through a move. They got a new home. That's right, because the museum, (laughs) Yeah. what is it? Utah Natural History Museum. They Natural were, History Museum of Utah. Oh, gosh. Natural History Museum of Utah. Yeah. I remember they were below the dorms, and now they're up on the hill next to Red Butte Gardens. Next to Red Butte Gardens, yeah. Also thought, an incredible place to go visit if you yeah, haven't, and yeah. you're coming to Salt Lake, or you live in Salt Lake, you should go see it. Yeah. So Anne was, I was looking, I was volunteering with the museum with Anne in the collection, in the herbarium, where they keep all these collections of plants over time. Is and that what is the herbarium? Herbarium is or the you... name yeah. Cool. So it's, it's pretty much as aisles of things. Like if you ever seen all the Google warehouses with all the computers, it's pretty much a thing with a lot of these slots of paper with plants inside them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know the Natural History Museum, they do twice a year behind the scenes mm-hmm. and you can go in and they'll open different drawers yeah. and you can go because there's a ton of space that the public doesn't normally access and they're showing off displays of what is in storage and there's dinosaur bones and reptiles and jars mm-hmm. which really wigged me out yeah. and then the plants yeah. yeah so that's cool and you were back there a lot working with Anne. Yeah, with Anne, and I was looking for domestic beetles, and so they have a problem with keeping things out of the museum, specifically insects. So oh. these domestic beetles would eat the specimens of plants. Oh. <laughs> so you wanted to catch them before they ate yeah. their whole collection. Yeah. So I was going through every plant and learning a lot about plants along the way. That's that really cool. What a great new, opportunity. Like, to knew, know more. You know, you can never um You never know it all. About yeah. plants. <laughs> So I was doing that, and then they did the move over to the Natural History Museum site right next to Redby Garden, which I thought was going to be a disaster, but it actually, the architecture of the building blends in perfectly it's with the so background. It's so good. It's so like beautiful. It's a huge building, but it looks, it just blends with the copper siding and the architecture of it. So they did a really good job with that. And so moved over there, and um, so the beginning of Urban Habitat is there was this population of noxious weeds up on the hillside. It was this one weed called Dyer's Woad, and you could just see it because it's so yellow. And Dyer's like, Woad. Dyer's Woad. So it was, Dyer's Woad was brought here as a plant for a dye for clothing, a blue dye for clothing before indigo was available. Oh. So they used to use it to dye clothes. So they're, yeah, bring yeah. it in here. Put and it in the so field. Let's have blue clothes. So the problem with noxious weeds is they don't test plants before they bring them in to see if... Or at least they didn't way back when. Well, they Do they don't, don't? No? Well, there's multiple ways that they can come to a new 
habitat yeah. or a new continent, a new country, whatever it may be. Yeah. And um, you can come on cargo and come in. Yeah. They call them place. hitchhikers. Yeah. So yeah. they're brought here for a purpose, either for beauty, for use, or accidentally through cargo. Yeah. Like those are the three main ones, pretty much. And so and you saw, so sorry, Dyer's Woad? Dyer's Woad. I love that name. I know it's not a good plant, but yeah, I love the name. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, and you can just kind of see it as a, like a big yellow blob up on the mountain. So I was like, I had a few employees, some staff, and I said, go. At Rebute Gardens. At Rebute Garden, yeah. When I, it was my early days at Rebute Garden, and I, I think it was 2012, and I told my staff to go pull this population of plants up on the mountain and at the same time Ann Kelsey was at the museum and she told a couple of her staff to, to go. do the same thing yeah and ironically it was at the same time that all the staff was up there together and they're like what are you doing here what are you doing here, We're here to <laughs> how this. cool and so it was just like perfect coincidence yeah serendipitous yes exactly and so Anne and I converged and we're just like why don't we do this more and mm -hmm. we should do this more around our property. We should be proactive about going beyond our boundary lines. Yeah. We set a certain boundary and we're like, let's control all the noxious weeds in this area. Pretty much around Redby Garden and the Natural History Museum of Utah from this is the place to the Huntsman Cancer Institute. And for folks who aren't here, this is the place is actually the name of a place it's this guy joseph smith right brigham young, brigham young i always get them mixed up brigham young he came here guys. and he with all of his mormon buddies and they were kept not finding a place to live and then they found a place and he declared this is the place and that's why that heritage park is named that and brigham young is also the founder of brigham young university you've probably heard of it yeah but um so Quickly, if you could explain to somebody in either a sentence or a paragraph, what is urban habitat? Urban ha habitat is a we are uh, we we run community events to pull noxious weeds. All right, perfect. <laughs> and uh, I know we talked about this last summer for sure, and maybe this earlier this year or sometime. You've done it for several years. I assume at first you did it with Ann Kelsey. Ann Kelsey. Ann yeah. Kelsey, mm -hmm. the late Ann Kelsey. Mm -hmm. So didn't do it recently, recent years with her. Yeah. You've also partnered with Red Butte Gardens and a few other partners. Mm -hmm. Maybe explain those partnerships and the struggle coming up on this year and being an organization like this that essentially works for free, essentially is a nonprofit, even though it's not registered as a 501c3, a, an official nonprofit. Right. But talk about the partnerships you've had and the issues coming up, because you've questioned whether you're going to do it in the future. Sorry, that's a lot in one ask. But... That's okay. I think really we need to start. Maybe people don't know what noxious weeds are. So let's start oh, okay. with the definitions of those things. So a weed in general is just a human-derived definition that means that it's a plant where you don't want... Uh, it's a plant that... Um, you don't want in your yard or... In an area. Oh, it's so simple sometimes, but it's a plant you don't want growing where it's growing, pretty much. So okay. it could be any plant. It could be native. It could be invasive. It could be from another So if place. I had basil in my tomato garden right. that I didn't want, yep. it's a weed. which wouldn't make sense because they're a great pair, mm -hmm. I would be like, that's a weed. Yeah. 
Exactly. Okay. So the next step up is invasive weed, and it's pretty much a plant growing where it's not found originally. So it's not okay. native to that place. It doesn't mean it's like such an issue. It doesn't. Yeah. It could it not can, spread. It could spread. It can a lot. be from somewhere else, but maybe not necessarily threatening. Yes. Exactly. Okay. And the next step is noxious weed. So it's designated by a municipality. So in this case, it's the state of Utah or Salt Lake County at Redview Garden or the Natural History Museum of Utah as causing harm to a number of things, which mostly is based around agriculture and livestock, but it's also native habitats, the economy, humans, like a number of variables. So it's determined by the state as causing harm to our resources, pretty much. And those are the ones that that urban habitat tries to remove. Yes. Awesome. I, I actually... I could have put that together, but I didn't know the different yeah. levels there. Yeah. Having been a gardener at the University of Utah and a few other places, I knew that a weed was a very general thing. Yeah, there's just additives. definitions yeah. for it. So, so me and Anne started out with just staff going through around our properties. Like, hey, there's a population of Dyer's Wood up there. Hey, there's a population of Myrtle Spurge in this area. Or there's a population of Thistle over here. And so we started doing this thing and it wasn't really working. Like we were like, ah, let's do it. We're all excited. Let's randomly go out. Weed warrior or someone that likes to pull plants or someone that's really passionate about pulling invasive, noxious weeds. It's pretty unique. So that was me and Anne and trying to get all these other people to come along was a little difficult. Yeah. You, know? you had all the enthusiasm and other people yeah. were like, well, we'll go with you. Yeah. Luckily, there through organization, municipalities, corporations in the valley, there's uh, those few that you know that will support you. In yeah. It. So that was the goal is to seek that out. The first couple of years, you know, we had, uh, we'd call out to staff or community and we'd have very few turn mm-hmm. out. Like it was like nine, 12, 15 people. And it almost wasn't worth it. Yeah. And then uh, I think after, um, well, it was kind of when Anne was sick and she, we were trying to reach out, like she had a lot of hospital staff that was really wanted to do it for her. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I had a lot of like interest from there and a lot of interest with her coworkers and my coworkers. And so it started to build some momentum, but really didn't take off until I figured out how to get volunteers because it almost got like overwhelming. And how did you get volunteers? What was the thing that you figured out? I figured out that you needed to base it around corporations that were looking for community or building yeah like, what do they call them like community building days or uh working yeah working days something something yeah. i know it because with the pride yeah. festival we'd get people from banks or the whole zoo or right. i can't think of like some tech companies they just set days aside mm-hmm. where they paid their staff to quote unquote go volunteer for different organizations mm-hmm. which is really cool mm-hmm. i'm really glad that they have that yeah. but you- there's a lot of great corporations and like companies in utah that will do that so that's kind of how i based it so what you do is you you book a date with this corporation that had hey i have 20 volunteers or whatever and then you put a call out to the community and i had this core group of people that just loved weeding <laughs> From volu- Weed warriors. Yeah, from volunteers at the garden. Like some of my volunteers at the garden are the most incredible people I could ever know in my life. 
and I love them so much and they <laughs> come and they're just like, you know, I try and do my whole urban habitat spiel yeah. and they're just like, can we just go pull the weed? <laughs> like, like, You're like, okay, fine, out. let's but, go. <laughs> and then I finally caught on to that. I'm like, everyone that knows this, like, go. Yeah. Go pull weeds. And everyone who doesn't, everyone let's hang out for a second. We need to have a talk. <laughs> safety and education. You know, it's really, it's really about education. Urban habitat is like, that was the goal is to create kind of a pyramid effect where you tell someone and they would tell someone because it's amazing how many people don't know how they don't know the 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 weeds that are is all over their yard that is a problem even though it looks so pretty so uh, my question and maybe you just answered it but the pillar of your education speech was getting them to be familiar with the noxious weeds. Yeah. So the noxious weed and like telling them what it was, we would always focus on one weed for yeah. that one event. And then they're going to remember that forever right. because I did that in California and I will never forget <laughs> what ice plant is. Right. And every time I visit California, I'm like, ah, ice plant. And you um, always pulled a few. And I always pulled it. Yeah. yeah. So that's what the ripple effect was, I guess, is like the whole intent was to have people pull a couple weeds here and there and eventually it wouldn't be a problem so along the way we've redview garden was the of course like the main sponsor like yes we encourage this so it's important to have that backbone with them and along the way we gathered more partners with the natural history museum redview garden and salt lake county were our main partners yeah and then we had also sponsors and what i would do with sponsors i would line up a corporation with a date and the sponsored would sponsor would do that event so like for instance one of uh that has been with us for a long time is save our canyons and they're okay very great at advocating for the health of our canyons in salt lake because which is so important interesting as they are called save our canyons Uh but that's another Topic maybe for a different day. (laughs) Well, they're a great organization. And so they've been sponsoring us for a while. So they would support a certain date. And they, in turn, would tell all the people that volunteered for them to come out. So it would be like a big ripple effect. Big collaboration. And eventually, like, these things got too large. (laughs) Too many people to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Managing people in the foothills and sending them up a mountain. Is not the safest thing, especially yeah. in like rattlesnake country and being on a mountain. I one time had this woman that was nine months pregnant. And oh, like, gosh. Are you sure you could do this? So I felt like I needed to take her hand and walk with her. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I can do it. And she got about halfway up the mountain. She's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't. I'm like, thank you. You're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was constantly thinking about it. So anyway, we had these people that would show up in flip-flops. I, I have this rule about volunteer groups that a third of them... A thirds. I have this rule of thirds with volunteer groups. Like a third of them are there and they work hard. Mm-hmm. A third of them are there and they like it and they they like and they're happy to with be people there and they do some stuff, but they're also like you know kind of just there. Yeah, and then the third that like pretty much are in flip flops and on their phones. Yeah. So and that's I, okay. It took me a while to like. Figure that out. I think that's true for all organizations. Yeah. I've worked with volunteers in so many capacities yeah. and. Yeah. Um, it always frustrated me because um, I'm sure very similar to you when I'm a volunteer, I'm there to be there and yeah. get it done yeah. and interact with people. So then when I had volunteers that were on their phone and yeah. sitting, I'm like, what? 
what are you doing? There's work to do. Aren't you here to do it? So it's a little frustrating, but a really good thing being in a leadership position to recognize. So I think that was one of the most important things I ever could have discovered is I need to be okay that I need to know that this is okay. There's going to be people that show up that are not going to do it. And that was really important for me. Yeah. And that being said, if you are a volunteer and you like go and give it your all or just do what people ask you, the basic minimum, I always get the feedback of, wow, you are such an incredible volunteer and you just get so much praises. And then being on the other end of that, having a volunteer that just, it's, I'm, you know, when I worked at a garden, be like, all right, pick all of this, put it in a pile, do this task. And if they did that, it was just like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah. That was so helpful. And yeah. go out and volunteer. It's pretty great. But I also thought, like, I also had a certain place in my uh, my heart for, like, the people that didn't want to be there. Yeah. I find myself talking to them, finding out what interests them and, like, what their thinking was. And it was almost really, uh, for me, pretty much, selfishly. Yeah. To be, like, understanding why. I guess that's a good intersection of interests, right? Yeah. If you find the people who love pulling weeds, well, you're already that person. Yeah. So finding the people who don't love pulling weeds but they're there yeah that's that's a good uh platform to connect on i think it's just as important yeah so over the years we picked up all these sponsors some of the sponsors that were so great to us is like the nature conservancy of utah the fire department salt lake city fire department um we had save our canyons like i said seven canyons trust which is gaining momentum right now with and the guy who runs it, Brandon? Brian. Brian. Brian, yes. Yes. I went to school with him. I should know his name. Hi, Brian. (laughs) Brian's bad. He offered to help me out so much. Maybe I can get him on here one day. I'm sure he has some... Yeah. Like, he's just an incredible human being. Yeah. So, of course, COVID hit, right? And we had such momentum, and we were doing it... a lot. It was extra from my normal job at Red Butte. It was extra hours. It was extra it was, without it extra was, pay. It was extra hours, but I did get extra pay oh, okay. approval because we were flying high at that time. We yeah. have concerts to support us. We have events, so we had money. Yeah, and when an you say concerts, uh, Red Butte Gardens put on puts on a concert series. Yeah, very so, cool. It's happening this summer. Yeah, yeah. Red Butte Gardens' main revenue is events which includes concerts weddings ceremonies things yes. like that we don't get very little funding from the u but we have a big influence from the u yeah so they pretty much tell you what we need to do but they don't give us a lot of money for it so well, <laughs> they play a good enough role it yeah, seems exactly they're there their support they give us great benefits all those things yeah so yeah covid hit and like it was not my decision to whether to hold events or not and I've always been toggling with whether, like, we are not a registered 5013C. I've always been toggling with that, whether we should be an organization or a for-profit, and because there's there's lapses in the year for yeah. that kind of work. And then if you do become a nonprofit, the paperwork becomes quite a bit. Like, right, it's a lot of work. I'm a scientist. I'm a doer. I'm not a business person. Yeah. So I have this great platform that's already running and running and running. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have I'm pretty much looking for someone to like do the business aspect of it. And yeah. No, I've had a few inquiries and pretty much 
no follow throughs. And so. so because of that and because of the pandemic this summer, uh, 2021, years. do you think there's going to be any events? And if not this year, do you think you'd be able to come back with momentum in 2022? So we're holding um, in between six to ten events and most of them were spring into summer so yeah and i guess spring is that's past happened yeah. yeah yeah that whole season is past and it's pretty um defeating to look across the canyon and see your population yeah of plants it's coming back controlling for a few years and to lose that momentum on controlling them is pretty hard uh, so we haven't been doing it for two years we didn't do in 2020 we didn't do them this year in 2021 I don't know if we'll do it in 2022, yeah. but we started also doing like fall things with Nature Conservancy. They're really interested in doing fall reseeding events. Yeah. So we would go Very to cool. the sites that we pulled weeds and we would reseed the sites with plants, local, local. How cool. So reseeding, sorry, I just don't know who's listening to this, so they might not yeah. know what reseeding right. means. So it's putting new seeds, plant seeds into the ground. So as a garden, that's that's one of the ba- uh, the great things about being part of the garden is we have all these plants at the garden, and we have yeah. plants that do really well in a local habitat. So are you actually putting in plants, starts, or seeds? No, seeds. So we would okay. collect from populations of seeds at the garden that oh, we know would do well okay. without ir- supplemental irrigation, and they would reseed for us. So we selected seeds to collect, and then we would go out and spread the seed at the sites where we pulled the invasive weeds because at the sites where we had the invasive or noxious weeds where we pulled we create a lot of disturbance yeah so and is that one of the best ways to keep these noxious weeds out is by having other vegetation in place i think the best way to keep these plants that we focused on out is to diminish the seed bank okay so on our average like average these plants have so say this plant this year flowered produced seeds and the plant what was it what you called it earlier it started with a d dyer's woad dyer's woad so if dyer's woad so if dyer's woad produced seeds and the seeds got into the soil this year on an average those seeds from this year's crop would germinate for seven years oh gosh so we're diminishing the goal is to do seven years at one site to diminish the seed bank so these noxious weeds oh, are okay. going. And in turn, we're supplying the seed bank with native seeds in order to like start them. Because yeah. the reason why like invasive weeds, invasive weeds or noxious weeds take hold because they're much faster at growing yeah. than native plants. And in some cases, maybe not with Dyer's Woad, but I know that they do take up resources and they mm-hmm. kill off exactly. native vegetation. Yeah, so that's what I mean. They grow faster. They take the sun away from the native yeah. seedlings. They take the water resources away. And, and they, they can produce... transform ecosystems, which is why, I mean, essentially this this is important because if our ecosystems go away, so do all the ecosystem services that yeah. we rely on as a society what we're really striving for is diversity in a society, in a habitat, in anything. Yeah. And one of the most common quotes that I like to tell my volunteers when they come is like, 
In order to control the weeds, you have to respect the weeds. So, <laughs> I like that. That's good motivation um, for them. I also like the goal is diversity. Because <laughs> one, that's so true for um, biodiversity, so essential. There's yeah. the Center for Biodiversity, who I've, I, I know people who work for, it, and they're just incredible people. And yeah, that's absolutely what we need. But mm-hmm. then diversity in terms of the people doing research and the people making content, media content. Like, mm-hmm. why I always talk about my conscious content consumption and people working all around us and living all around us. It's good to, it makes us stronger and more resilient mm-hmm. in terms of an ecosystem and in terms of a society because we're not relying on just one thing. And if that one thing goes away, you know, if that was it, that was it. <laughs> Simply, it comes back to your podcast that we're talking about <laughs> right now. Is like that's what the whole thing is, right? Diversity, yeah, people. So diversity yep. and living things. Yeah. Is important. Oh, I love that. And uh, I do think that it's a really good note to end on unless you have more that you want to share. Maybe um, if there's a way that people can contact you or look you up through Red Butte Gardens, do you want to share that real quick? If you have an email address. Really long last name. But yeah, you can always (laughs) contact Red Butte Garden. And I'm one of the five horticulturalists at the garden. Um, Neil Dombrowski. And... I could talk for hours, but we will start with part one. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> part one, Neil Dombrowski at Red Butte Gardens. If you happen to be that business person who does want to work with him, um, just throwing that out there. He just <laughs> raised his eyebrows. And thank you again so much for coming on. I learned more about uh, what you do. And I have to say thank you to AJ for the intro music, as always. And as my dad says, use your head and be clever. Bye, everybody. Bye.